Hello, and welcome to the US-China Conversation. My name is Michael Vatikiotis, your host for this podcast and the Asia Director of the Center for Humanitarian Dialogue. Today, journalism and geopolitics, the impact of the recent American and Chinese policies of targeting each other's news correspondents. We'll hear firsthand how this affects their daily work and how it might disrupt mutual understanding between the two countries in years to come. I'll be asking two young journalists for their vision of how the issue should be managed and what can be done to de-escalate the situation. Let me just say up front that as a former journalist myself and one who worked for many years as a foreign correspondent in Asia, I'm acutely aware of the role played by news media in purveying views and shaping perceptions. With me today are Zhang Shi, Chief U.S. Correspondent at Caixin, a private Chinese weekly specializing in investigative journalism who is based in Washington, D.C., and Jerry She, a correspondent who was based in China with the Washington Post until he was expelled in March. Welcome to you both. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. Thanks very much, Michael. So first, let me ask you, Jerry, to take us back to the moment when you found out you were being expelled from China. Who told you and what were you accused of? And what did you do? It's a moment I certainly remember vividly. At the time, it seemed like the world was just falling apart. I, I was sitting on my couch in Beijing with my partner, watching the movie The Big Short, I remember, because the stock markets were collapsing. This was in mid-March. And suddenly my phone vibrates. Um, I look down. It's my colleague in the Beijing Bureau of the Washington Post saying, hey, does this apply to you? With a link to a statement by the foreign ministry declaring that many uh, American journalists working for three of the large daily newspapers would be asked to leave the country. And then from there, it was very quickly confirmed you know, around midnight that it did, in fact, apply to me. And then I was out of the country within about two or three weeks. Did you try to protest with the Chinese authorities? I mean, did you ask them to reverse their decision? We did not. You know, in some ways it came as a shock, but in other ways, you know, it's one of those moments, I think, that you sort of almost sort of see coming. What happened to me in mid-March was simply just another data point along that trajectory. And in some ways you look at it and think it's going to happen uh, sooner or later, given the way that things are progressing, unfortunately. Zhang Qi, you're still working in Washington. What are the challenges you now face working for Chinese media in the United States? One of the big challenges here right now for Chinese national journalists of Chinese national is also about the visa policy that, as Jeremy mentioned, it's a tit for tat. So the U.S. government revised our visa to three months. So we have to apply for extension every three months. It just uh, created another uncertainty there. And also, I think for journalists of Chinese national, you are always kind of perceived as someone working for state media or representing the government. And that will influence your access. Have you found that things have gotten worse since the outbreak of the coronavirus and with all the accusations that are thrown at China about the so-called cover-up? I mean, have you found that you personally and also when you're covering stories that you sort of feel the impact of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there have been so many more briefings. All the briefings are recorded or live. I kind of felt like when I asked the questions, even there are probably like similar questions from a U.S. reporter. But because I asked it, people would perceive it differently. 
I just that being, you know, like Chinese face and being in the briefing kind of make you somewhat a target. Jerry, in your experience, did things get worse for you as a journalist covering China at the time when the pandemic and the coronavirus was becoming a big story, a big issue? During the pandemic, restrictions in terms of surveillance, local security authorities following and, and monitoring our movements, that certainly continued to be quite intense. What I think was quite remarkable was the level of which the Chinese media really sort of stepped up and kind of showed their investigative prowess, even, I guess, a level of latitude that they enjoyed in doing some of the digging that we simply hadn't seen in recent years. Unfortunately, I think that we've seen a lot of that reporting from Chinese outlets taper off. And I'm afraid that it's a sign that the journalism environment in China is reverting back to its pretty grim situation. So far, we've seen nine Chinese media outlets listed as foreign agents by the United States, nine American media organizations required to submit to checks on their operations by the Chinese authorities, and several dozen journalists expelled from each country. I wanted to ask you both how this climate of intimidation uh, by both governments has affected your coverage. Uh, Zhang Xi, you know, from the perspective of covering events in the United States, has it made you more cautious? Has it made you careful about what you report? What's your feeling about that? I don't think it influenced what I report, but it definitely makes me more careful to Chinese journalists who were attending the White House briefings and asking questions, and they were targeted on Twitter. The president asked him, like, where are you from? And he said Taiwan instead of his affiliations. And the president retweeted that thing, something like kick him out. Jerry, I understand that you're currently based in Taipei, in Taiwan, and still covering China. How has the focus of your coverage shifted due to this inconvenience of remote coverage? Not being on the ground cripples your ability to do um, all, you know, whether it's to travel broadly and get the sights and the sounds and sort of the feel of a place, or if you're doing institutional reporting and you want to meet sources and you want to have a conversation with a scholar or an expert or, or an official. If you're not there on the ground inside mainland China, it, it's a massive detraction in terms of your ability to do the work. One of the things that I've noticed in China is, of course, that many foreign news organizations have quite an extensive network of not just sources, but they have news assistants, they have people who work, Chinese citizens who work for these organizations. Has their work been affected by the current climate? Oh, absolutely, 100%. And the thing to remember is that what is happening to them, the difficulties that they face in terms of pressure from the local Chinese authorities is far, far greater than the risks that we face as foreign correspondents. And it also goes much more underreported. I think for every instance that you have a foreign correspondent being treated badly or, or even expelled, there are five or 10 cases that nobody knows about of a Chinese researcher who do very, very important work, who are absolutely essential to the daily work that every single organization produces. During the Cold War in the last century, it was a similar story. The United States and the Soviet Union regularly expelled journalists from each country, accusing them of spying. And just as then, 
what we see today is journalists from both countries being used as chess pieces in this bigger game of US-China relations. Doesn't that sort of put you in a similar position of being caught up in geopolitics? Jerry, why don't you go first? I think, unfortunately, the analogy is becoming more and more apt. You know, it's first are the reporters and then it's the diplomats. And as we're seeing now, this is certainly playing out right in front of our eyes. And it's kind of mind boggling to see these moves unfold from both sides day by day and happening so fast that you sort of wonder if there's going to be any floor to what's happening and how we can possibly get out of this death spiral. It's especially bewildering because I think that if you had looked at the policies of previous U.S. administrations, they seem to be very dilatory, to be honest. They didn't really sort of tackle the China problem in a timely, concerted or, or sharp fashion until it reached the point that it's gotten in recent years. And then suddenly we see the current Trump administration sort of go at China in a sort of all-encompassing way, throwing whatever is in the arsenal and the kitchen sink at China in a way that I think many would argue is also counterproductive and simply locks us in this spiral even more. So I think there are many reasons to be concerned from all sides. Zhangqi, there seems to be a complete insistence on the part of the US authorities and other governments in, in the West that Chinese media operating overseas serve the state. You know, let me just say that I used to work for the BBC World Service which is still partially funded by the United Kingdom Foreign Office, in other words, by the state, and yet claimed editorial independence. How have you as a Chinese journalist working for a private publication, how have you dealt with this issue? I definitely was perceived as someone working for a state media and representing the Chinese government. I don't think I have a good way to deal with this issue because, you know, it's just a the stereotype or assumptions that people have for a long time. And me, just as an individual journalist, I don't think I can change that. I remember, you know, there's a, some in DC, you know, have a lot of like private networking events. I remember I just a very carol conversation that I met like this woman at an event and I would say, oh, I work for Chinese private media and the instant response I got from her is, is there anything private in China? Another private networking event, I met this a staff to a U.S. lawmaker, and I, he told me that because you work for a Chinese press and no one trusts the Chinese press. So I was saying, but we are private. I don't work for state media. And he said, Huawei is a private company, says they are a private company. No one buys it. Jerry, on your side, isn't it also true that U.S. media sometimes comes under pressure to toe a line? I, I recall myself the pressure that I came under as a senior journalist in Asia working for a U.S.-owned publication not to ask too many hard questions about the global war on terror back in 2001, 2002, for example. And President Trump's declaration that journalists are purveyors of fake news and are the enemy of the people, although said in a domestic context, surely doesn't help. Yeah, I think you mentioned that what happened in 2003 in the run-up to the American invasion of Iraq, I think that even in the last several months, we've sort of seen echoes, maybe very faint, of that. We've seen the Trump administration pushing very hard for American outlets to 
publish reports on what seemed to me to be pretty thinly grounded theories about the origins of the virus and whether it was man-made and whether it had leaked either inadvertently or, or it was leaked on purpose from a biological lab in Wuhan. But at the same time, I think it would be a, a huge mistake to draw false equivalence between a free American press with Chinese state media. I don't include Caixing in that. I don't believe that all Chinese state media employees necessarily believe in that or do that on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, if you look at the reporting that's done around the world, including in the US, by outlets um, such as Xinhua, if you look at their wire copy, I think on a day-to-day -day basis, you would find that for the most part, it's actually very fair, very you know straight by the facts reporting. But at the same time, if you look at some of the propaganda that's being put out by, let's say, CCTV, CGTN on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, it's very obviously propaganda. And, and there is no way that you can compare that whatsoever with the sort of reporting that you would see by mainstream American outlets. And I think to make that sort of equivalence would be a mistake. Zhangqi, so the question I wanted to ask you was how do you manage to stay ahead of Chinese social media, you know, Weibo in particular, which can often, as we've seen with the recent decision to close the Chinese consulate in Houston, take off with a great sort of amazing amount of information and opinion that often could be ahead of the media in terms of shaping opinions. So I wondered, how do you manage to, if you like, uh, deal with the fact that in social media in China, especially on, on overseas issues increasingly with this problem between the US and China is becoming very nationalistic. And how do you manage to maintain objectivity and sort of, if you like, say something different from what social media in China is saying? Yeah, I'm on both Weibo and Twitter. And there's definitely increasing cyber nationalism on Weibo. I mean, I see myself as someone, a journalist working in the US and contributing to what's really happening in the U.S. on Weibo. So I would post uh, just the facts on Weibo. I, I rarely post my opinions. But when I see the comments, there's still that kind of nationalism. And whenever even like only one or two people was trying to say the other side of the story, then this person get attacked. How do I deal with this? I just look at this and know this is happening, but I don't think that's influenced how I cover the story or how my colleagues in Taishin cover stories. Also, I think it's the similarly on Twitter. I think I used to tweet just one sentence. It's like Weibo and Twitter are two extremes. Seems like in a parallel world. So it, it's really interesting to be both on Weibo and Twitter at the same time and see the completely different reactions. Also maybe kind of the other type of nationalism on Twitter as well. So that's how, you know, as a journalist, how I see this. Jerry, would you agree on, on Twitter that it's becoming increasingly sort of fiery nationalistic, at least from a US perspective towards China? Yeah, 100%, I agree. You know, not only is the sort of sentiment towards China shifting quite negatively, but, you know, I think the general level of discourse has deteriorated. I think, you know, you see a lot of these ad hominem attacks, even among what's generally you know, a circle of experts and very knowledgeable and, and well-informed people. I think it's sort of reflective of the state of social media 
today. It's not only in the kind of the China watching or the China policy sphere. You know, people get attacked if they voice more moderate opinions for being too sympathetic to the Communist Party, and and the space for I think construction dialogue is shrinking pretty precariously. So, do you think that correspondents, both Chinese reporters in the U.S. and and, and American reporters in China, will increasingly as a result of all this, be sort of forced to reflect official narratives that each side has of the other. I'm just wondering that how are you going to be able to resist these pressures as as we head towards the election in November? This is clearly going to become much more intense, and you know it, it must be difficult to resist. I think that the pressures are going to be inevitable. I think you're absolutely spot on in in, in sensing that. China is going to be one of the biggest hot button issues as we get into November. I think it's going to be an issue that's going to be played by the Trump campaign. And I think that, as I said before, being an American reporter, I think there will inevitably be some of those undercurrents subconsciously tugging at us, sort of steering our coverage a certain way. You know, I, I think what we have to do is every day take a deep breath and look at things from a a rigorous intellectual perspective, look at the facts, call things as we see them, and simply expect the abuse that's going to come your way, no matter what you do. And and I guess do the job the the best that we can. Zhang Ji, you mentioned earlier that you felt as a Chinese national, increasingly worried about the situation. Do you feel that's going to affect your coverage in any way? I don't think so, but I, I definitely think I would cover more how the China's role in the U.S. general election and how the being tough on China is kind of like a bipartisan issue in this general election and how this is going to be like for the next couple months. Definitely for the next couple months before the general election, that's definitely going to be one of my main focus for my coverage. I actually have been covering this for the past a couple of years, and this is going to be even more so going forward before the election. So finally, I'd, I'd like to ask you both if there's any way that American and Chinese journalists can do more together to help generate a better understanding of this very difficult time, the problems with the relationship between the US and China, and perhaps more importantly, what's the way out? Because the alternative is war. So I'm just wondering how, if there's anything that that journalists can do together from both countries to try and promote a better understanding. Yeah, I like this question that, you know, American and Chinese journalists, what they can do together. I think this tit for tat on journalists on both sides kind of connected our fate together. It's like, yeah, how we are treated here is connected with U.S. reporters like Jerry is treated in China. I mean, outside of China. So definitely, but I think sometimes I'm thinking being a journalist is a very powerful profession because you have that power to influence the opinion of the general public. And that is why it is called force aided. But sometimes I feel journalist is actually very powerless that just by a single policy from the government that you may be not be able to stay in the country where you report from. So that's something I've been thinking lately. And as a journalist, what we can do 
I don't know. I have a good answer for that. But being an individual journalist, I think it's just trying to always tell myself, like, whatever you report, report the facts and report two sides, both sides of the story, a balanced, objective story, as unbiased as you can to inform the general public. That's the only thing I can do as a journalist. Jerry, what's your view on that? Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, as you pointed out earlier, it does often feel like we're simply kind of pawns in a much larger chessboard. And with the way things are happening now, it doesn't look too optimistic. But, you know, I think that when there are developments that directly impact our profession, whether it's moves from both governments, I think we can and should speak up where we can. I think especially on the part of the U.S. as a country that, that holds itself up to certain liberal democratic ideals. I think that in many of these cases, when it comes to press freedoms, we should try to hold our government to that standard and engage necessarily in some of these moves that may not be so well considered and may be motivated more by, as we've been calling it, a, a kind of a tit for tat. I think there are very legitimate and, and real issues around the growing proliferation and the spread and growing sophistication of Chinese disinformation and Chinese propaganda. But I think that there are many more smarter ways and more principled ways to target narrowly some of those problems, whether that's looking at its spread on social media. You know, you just have to ask yourself, is there something that we can do that's a little bit more well considered than kicking out journalists. There we must end this edition of the US-China Conversation. Jerry She of the Washington Post, Zhang Shi of Shaixin, a private Chinese weekly. Many thanks for being my guests on the US-China Conversation. Yeah, great to be here, Michael and Jerry. Thanks very much. It's great to be with you. And if you've enjoyed the show, please spread the word and leave a review on the platform where you get your podcasts. And I hope you'll excuse the odd technical glitch due to podcasting under the restraints of social distancing. The US-China Conversation is brought to you by the Center for Humanitarian Dialogue, a private Swiss foundation dedicated to mediation and peaceful dialogue. From me, Michael Vatikiotis, thanks for listening. Join me soon. And until next time, goodbye.